Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Well, I'm George June Parker's boy. Um, Susie and Patsy's brother. Um, I'm, I'm, my wife is cold. I'm, I'm her husband. I'm Hannah's dad. I'm Henry and June's pop. I'm your pastor. And what concerns me is <clears throat> more often than not, I identify with those things and with who I am in Christ. I identify as in those relationships rather than my identity as a child of God. And I do think on those things regularly, uh, but not as often as I should. And that should dominate my thoughts. What should dominate my thoughts more than my being a husband or a father or a grandfather or a friend is a child of God. That should dominate our thoughts that in such a way that it affects our decisions, it affects our conversations, it affects our relationships, it affects our marriages, it affects what we do with money, it affects what we do with time. Um, so I hope today that what we glean from the third chapter of First John, if you want to turn there, is this idea of who we are and who he says we are in him. Let's look at verses 1 to 10 of First John chapter 3 and looking at our identity in him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Those who are born of God will not continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Those who do not do what is right are not God's children, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. First, I want us to see about our identity today is our identity is, first of all, in whose we are. In whose, not who we are, but in whose we are. Look at one to three again. See with what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That we should be called the children of God. Not that we should call ourselves the children of God of our own initiative, 
but that he calls us. It's a, it's a God declaration, not a man declaration. Listen to how Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17 talk about this same truth. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He says, you are one of mine. You, are, you have been bought with a price and we are heirs and co-heirs. Um, we are, as children, we are, we are part sharing in the inheritance of Christ. Verse of, in chapter 21 of Revelation talks about our inheritance. It talks about the new heaven and new earth in great detail. And so what we see in that, in that chapter is the inheritance that's laid up for us, that's waiting for us, and that's not here. It's over on the other side. So that inheritance is to come. We haven't received it yet. It's amazing, though, how much energy we expend in this place acquiring and protecting things that are ultimately going to burn up. Think about the time you spend and I spend in acquisition and protection of the things that are going to burn up. And at the core of that reality is an identity problem because we identify more with what we have and what we own and what we have acquired here than what is laid up there and what is waiting for us as heirs there. Our identity is in whose we are. Secondly, our identity is revealed in the direction we're walking. It's revealed in the direction we're walking. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. It says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you who know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's the direction we're walking. If we find ourselves or see someone in a continual state of disobedience, we need to point them to a relationship with Jesus. Based on the authority of these verses, uh, a believer, and this, that's regardless of who they are or where they, what they profess or what they know, but based on the authority of these verses, a, a believer cannot stay in continual disobedience and continual sin and continual rebellion and not be convicted by it. Uh, now, Tim, you say, I, I, have fr I have friends that I know that have been suffering with addiction. Yes. But in, if they're a believer in their heart, they know that addiction is wrong and it was sin. And they struggle with it every day. And they're trying to get victory over it every day and seemingly lose that victory every day. But a person can't stay in, in continual habitual sin and not be convicted by it, not know that it's wrong and know, and know Jesus. So then the question comes, do believers sin? <laughs> I believe they do. We all have. Today, probably already. So believers sin, and, and that's absolutely true, but we don't stay there and shouldn't stay in that, play, in, in that sinful state. Uh, the implication here in verse 6 talks about this. It talks about no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, meaning that there's more, the more mileage we have, consequently the more maturity we have, uh, the less struggle with sin there should be in us. The more, the more we grow, the more we, we mature, 
Sin no longer has a control. Sin no longer has a grip that it used to have. Meaning that we're sinless? No. But meaning that we're having more victory over sin than we used to. We're defeating the enemy more than we used to. Uh, it's no longer a lifestyle for us. It may be a place we occasionally visit now and then, but we don't stay there. We don't live in that state. Um, and that's revealed in the direction we're walking. Thirdly, our identity is not only in whose we are and is revealed in the direction we're walking, but thirdly, our identity is defined by our spiritual DNA. It's defined by our spiritual DNA. Look at 7 to 9 again. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does not do what is right, I'm sorry, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared is, was to destroy the devil's work. Those who are born of God will not continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning. He clearly identifies the source of all sin, the source of all wrong, the source of all disobedience is the devil himself, not us. And because that's true, watch this. Nothing you've ever done wrong in your life originated with you, but with him. That's a pivotal thing that most believers don't get and don't understand. Because the enemy beats us up with the fact that we're, we're the source of all of that. He's the source of all of that. He's a liar and he knows it. And he, and he feeds that lie to us in such a way that we believe it. But no wrong you've ever done, no sin you've ever done has ever originated with you. It has originated with him. He's the source of all of it. So our ability then to walk away from the enemy as a lifestyle of sin has to do with God's seed in us. He talks about that in verse 9. God's seed in verse 9 is not in our own strength. It is in his, his seed, his DNA in us. Here's some pictures I want you to look at. Uh, this morning that talks about uh, I want to refer that you don't have to look too far to see some common DNA this one was begat of that one, that one was begat of this one this one was begat of that one you, you, you see the resemblance in, in the DNA that's exactly what he's talking about your spiritual DNA should show up it should re reveal itself in you it should be obvious in you it should be seen by you we are his possession in essence he's saying here uh, listen to 1 Corinthians 19 and 20. Uh, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Why? Because they belong to him. They don't belong to us. We are his possession. So, consequently, don't allow the enemy to define you. Don't allow the enemy to define you. God says you are his. And because you're his, he pursues us. He protects us. He comes after us. If you've seen the movie Taken, you're familiar with it. You, you, you've heard this telephone conversation before.
Makes you want to get up, don't it? That call is coming to, to, to Satan one day. In fact, it's already been made. He knows, it, he knows his days are numbered. He knows that, that his, his days are numbered and he, he'll be cast into the lake of fire. But that's the sense of, that's the sense of, of God's pursuit of us, that he's coming after us. He doesn't let us walk away and think, come on back when you get ready. No, he comes after us again and again and again. He pursues us and protects us from our, our enemy, the devil. Now, that is, when you see and understand God's pursuit of you, you understand you're his possession, you should change how we walk. You should change how we look at our world, how we look at, at ourselves, as I said earlier, at everything else in life. Because we know we're his, and we know we're never alone because we're his, because he comes after us to keep us uh, in, uh, in his care, pursues us to protect us. Because that is, uh, our, our identity is defined by our spiritual DNA. He, his DNA is in us. When we, when we are born again, his DNA comes up to take residence in us. In fact, the anointing that we looked, talked about last week, having in the Holy Spirit, when he comes in to, to abide, that anointing uh, in chapter 2, uh, is the seal in that relationship just to say we are his, you're, you're my possession. So our identity is in, is in whose we are, is revealed in the direction we're walking. It's defined by our spiritual DNA. But fourthly, our identity should be an obvious contrast to our culture. It should be an obvious contrast to our culture. Look at verse 10 again. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Those who do not do what is right are not God's children, nor are those who, who do not love their brothers or sisters. Pretty straight, pretty clear, pretty, pretty straightforward. The contrast as to who's who centers around right and wrong, not good and bad. What do I mean by, by that difference? Well, here's an example. There's a lot being bantered about now, especially among pre presidential candidates, about the abortion issue. And a lot of questions come into candidates of are you in favor of a nine month abortion up to nine months like the state of California has? Are you, are you in favor of 15, 15, week, 15 week abortions? Are you in favor of six week abortions? Like some favor, are you, are you in favor of no abortions at all like the state of Tennessee has passed? And those, it's interesting to me the answers to those questions because what we're really talking about is right and wrong. The way those questions are asked, it sometimes would lead you to believe that there are various degrees of bad and good, or as defined by what your values are. And instead of seeing that as a right and wrong issue, and it, it amazes me that we have, in our culture, declared murder to be wrong universally. We all believe murder is wrong. We've declared stealing, theft to be wrong. Universally, we all believe that's wrong. We've declared child molesters to be wrong. We, we all believe that's wrong and, and that, that, that shouldn't be allowed. And this is a right and wrong issue, abortion is. It is either right for everybody or it's wrong for everybody. If murder when you're outside the womb is wrong for everybody, what about murder when you're inside the womb? It should be just as wrong. Now, Please, if you're here and you've had an abortion, don't hear judgment in what I'm, about, what I'm saying because my sin of self-consumption 
is probably worse than your sin of abortion. Both have, both have been forgiven at the cross, by the way. Um, but sin is sin, and there are no degrees of sin. All have been forgiven. But we need to see the rightness and wrongness in things and not start weighing the degrees of good and bad. The degrees of good and bad are so subjective in our culture uh, and, again, come, come from our source from the enemy because he's, he's crafty in how he lies and how he puts, shapes the arguments together. He doesn't want us to see the world through a right and wrong lens. He wants us to see varying degrees of good and bad. Good and bad. But our, our behavior will not change until our convictions change, until our beliefs change, until our values change, until our priorities change. And when the dust clears, you and I need to be standing on the side that's right, not on the side that's popular. There, there are some, some consequences to standing on that side. We need to expect a certain amount of conflict. Uh, and Jesus speaks to this in John 16, 33. He says, I'm coming that you might have peace, but in this world, you'll have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world, especially if you stand for me. But he says, take heart, be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Uh, this, this conflict, though, shouldn't be about winning and losing. It needs to be about right and wrong. What, it needs to be about what we know to be true, what we, what we know to be right. So how do we know that? Well, we looked at it last week. Chapter two, look, look back again in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, uh, but you have the anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. The anointing you have in us, the Holy Spirit in us, he's saying, is, the, is there to guide you to all truth. So how, how do we know that? We know that by the Spirit in us, the Spirit in our hearts, and the Word in our hands. That's how we know what truth to be and, and where to find what's right, what's wrong, where to stand, where we shouldn't stand. By the Spirit in your heart and the Word in your hand, and with the Spirit in your heart and Word in your hand, step out and go do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing that's in front of you. It, it, it's not a, a big picture thing. The smaller you can make the picture in a day-to-day, -day, sometimes hour-to-hour -hour lens, the better off, I think, sometimes it, easy, it is easier to see those things. So... We know those to be true by the Spirit in us and the Word in front of us. Um, so, to wrap up, here's a question. How long will we allow the enemy to define for us who we are and who or what our future holds? How long will we allow the enemy to define for us who we are and what our future holds? He won't, he's trying to do that every day. He understands that battles are won and lost in the mind. We need to understand that too. So if walking away from bondage is a mental discipline, where do I start? Well, identity is the first step to a life of victory instead of defeat. We have to start by realizing who we are in Christ. This is who he says I am. This is what his word, who his word says I am. Consequently, that's who I am. I'm not who the enemy says that I am. I'm not who the enemy wants to define me in being. So the first step to winning, the first step to, to moving beyond that mental discipline and winning battles against him is, has to do with our identity in him and recognizing who we are in, in, in Christ. There is greater victory to be had than defeat. As I said earlier, it's a maturity issue. The more mileage we have in the faith, the less habitual sins should be a problem to us. Because we, were, we see the enemy coming, we recognize his ways, his methods, how he, how he works at us and speaks to us and tries to, to confuse us. 
But if I know who I am, if I know whose I am, I know what's at my disposal, and what's at my disposal is his spirit, his word, and his people. Those are my, at my disposal, and those are great arsenals to have. His spirit in me, his word in my hand, and the body around me to encourage me in my walk. Well, knowing our identity is an essential, John says. If we don't know that, we can't live it. And if we know it and don't believe it, we're not going to walk it out in victory. It's going to be sporadic. It's going to be seasonal. It's going to be situational. It's going to be when we feel like we're closer to God, when we feel like we're distant. Where is God? Do I not belong to him anymore? Does he not care? Yes, he does. He's continuing to pursue me and come after me to, to draw me back to himself. So our identity in him is pivotal if we're going to live in a world that needs to see him and they desperately need to see him. We're going to have to move beyond our being a husband and a son and a father and a pop and a pastor and a friend and move into our seeing ourselves as a child of God on a daily, regular basis. It's pivotal because we see the, once we see ourselves that way, we see the world differently. We see people who are in sin as people who need Jesus, not as people who need judgment. Huge difference between those two things. And, and the more we see people through a different light and through a different lens, the more we see ourselves as forgiven, as redeemed, as unworthy, and yet he still pursues us, still comes after us, still offers himself to us again and again and again. It's all in how we see ourselves. Our identity is vital. Let's pray. Father, today, we're here in varying stages, probably brokenness. Uh, in fact, all of us are broken daily. But it's whether we choose to stay in the brokenness or not that matters. And oftentimes, what delivers, delivers us from the brokenness is our identity in Christ, who we realize that we are. We're somebody you died for. We're somebody you redeemed. We're somebody that your precious possession of your son was given at the cross for. We're somebody that he intercedes for when we pray. We're somebody that he pursues, comes after, chases down. We'll leave the 99 to go get the one. We're somebody that you value above all else. You, you told us in Romans 8 that we are heirs of God, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ that all he has and all he is belongs to us too. So today, with those reminders stirring us, challenge us to move from mediocrity into passion, to move from a lethargic walk with you into one that has some zeal and is encouraged and is stirred and stimulated to walk in the newness of Christ. Because we're born of you, your spiritual DNA is in us. You've consumed us. You, you've reconstituted us from the inside out. When we see that truth, it ought to change some things. It ought to change how we leave here today, how we view our coworkers tomorrow, how we, how we view and deal with people tomorrow, how we parent our kids tomorrow, how, what kind of friends we are to others tomorrow. It ought to change some things about us. Stir that in us. 
cause us to push back the enemy that says all that depends on us. It doesn't. It depends on the grace of God. A daily pursuit of us again and again. So, because we're yours, we can daily live and walk in victory. But we have to see ourselves as you see us. Help us with that. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.